0: And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach. I want to welcome you to another fantastic interview. Jay Scott, he is the founder of 120VC, is my guest today. Just an amazing, stellar resume when I uh when his one sheet came across my desk, said, I got to get this guy on. So it's I think we're about a month in the making, but I'm going to read his professional intro because I can't do it any better than this. So Jay Scott is a relentless real-life anti-hero, <laughs> talk about that, who doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. Growing up in the streets of Los Angeles with less than ideal parents, Jay learned early on that actions speak louder than words. After dropping out of high school at 17, Jay joined the Navy and learned firsthand that grit and courage can overcome any lack of talent. He embraced every opportunity to learn and eventually became a naval rescue swimmer. Folks, those are the folks, those are the guys guys and gals who jump out of helicopters to save lives. Wow. (laughs) Rewind. 20 years ago, Jay founded 120VC to help people, leaders, and teams get things done that really matter. He's uncovered some universal truths along the way. Organizations are optimized for the results they're getting and to get different results, humans need to perform their jobs differently. It's kind of a whole fresh approach, which is interesting. I'm going to hopefully get Jay to share some of that. But here's the kicker. Humans crave success in all areas of their life, and nobody knows how to be successful doing their job differently. That's where leaders come in. Jay Scott is the epitome of the anti-thought leader, proving that leadership isn't about being the most talented or successful person on the team. It's about helping your team members define and deliver success. Jay, I'm I'm just so thrilled to finally connect with you. How are you doing today?
2: I'm great. Jim, I'm stoked to be here too. I'm excited to, to explore
1: your I mean your career so you dropped out of school at 17 and did you go right into the navy or did you uh, have another plan
2: Oh no it was uh, my my dad in fact insisted that I join the navy which is why I dropped out of high school me and my dad and school weren't getting along very well
1: <laughs> Okay I, I I get that I inter- so This is coming up on my 500th interview, and I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs that I speak to um, that either, you know, oh, I went to school, became a CPA. I didn't like numbers, so then I started a business, janitorial business. Everybody, like, starts out in this one path, and they usually divert. I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people do. So your dad said, hey, you're going in the Navy, and you just, you left school and went in the Navy.
2: Oh, yeah, I couldn't wait to get out of the house. I I do not come from great parents, a great neighborhood. Um, In fact, I was just telling somebody the other day that I'm, you know, I was, I was born in 1974, but the first time I actually remember being truly happy was during the 1984 Olympics when they came to Los Angeles.
1: Wow. Um,
2: Because I had a bus pass, which gave me freedom and uh, McDonald's was doing that, that trivia thing. And so I had a lot of free Big Macs and I was on a swim team. I was on a swim team at the time, and I actually got to compete at the Olympic pool right next to the L.A. Coliseum. So, Is that right? Wow. best, Best year of my life at the time, and really the first time in memory, like I remember being happy as a child.
1: My, one of my daughters was a competitive swimmer all through college. And I remember sitting there at one of the many, many, many swim meets and a guy had a t-shirt on in, in front of me. And he said, if I only had one day to live, I'd want to go to a swim meet because they last forever. <laughs> you know, those swim meets where you, you sit for eight hours on a bleach and watch your kids swim for 38 seconds. <laughs> but so is that what, so I guess there was some of your swim swimmer training. How did you get in from the Navy? Then how did you go into uh, search and rescue?
2: So that, like most things, it was an accident. Um, I actually, when I joined the Navy, I took a test. It's like an aptitude test. I I forget what it's called, like the ASFAB or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it it basically said, you know, I had a high high enough IQ to do anything I wanted. So I chose data processing. Don't laugh because I was like, hey, you know, the computers are our future. So I went to school. I went shipboard. And this is where volunteering comes in. So like I had a job. I had training. I was responsible for operating a data center on a supply ship. Um, but in my spare time, which we had plenty of uh, when we were underway, you know, I'd go hang out with the people that drove the fork trucks and learn how to drive the fork trucks. Anyway, long story short, the the administrators on the ship messed up and they transferred both of the rescue swimmers and a ship can't leave port without two rescue swimmers. So um, the, the the folks that usually get to go to SAR school are the people that don't have training, that are unrated, that that uh, you know were either just an unrated airman or an unrated deckman. And so they were sending people and they just kept washing out of school because at the time, and probably still does, SAR school has the highest uh, attrition rate in all of the special forces next to Navy SEALs. So the skipper, after sitting on the dock for three months, which doesn't look good on his resume, opened up tryouts to everybody on the ship. And, you know, me and another guy named Brandon ran the fastest, swam the fastest, did the most push-ups and sit-ups. Uh, so I got to go to rescue swimmer school. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that is most memorable at, about rescue swimmer school isn't how hard it was. It was literally that the day after I graduated, I remember thinking, I can't believe I made it through SAR school.
1: That's crazy. So how long were you ultimately in the Navy?
2: Oh, six years, two months and 23 days.
1: (laughs) How many hours now? (laughs) That's funny. Um, So when you got out of the Navy, did you, what did you What am I going to do now? Should I start this company or what was that transition? No. um, So as it happens,
2: I got my first job out of the Navy because my mom was the assistant, to the chief information officer at Universal Studios. Wow. Um And I had an IT background in the Navy. So my mom introduced me to a staffing agency that predominantly served IT at Universal Studios. They were happy to put me in front of hiring managers. And a, a guy named Bud Racky, the first guy I interviewed with, who absolutely knew that my mom was his boss's boss's boss, gave me a job.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Good move back then. Um, So when did... So- I'm going to fast forward, Jay, because I got I got a lot to cover in in another 20 minutes or so. So when did so when how long did you work and then decide I'm just going to go out on my own? Like you must have felt like you had some things to offer that weren't being covered in your normal work. Right.
2: Yeah. So I I started out in tech support and very quickly I became the director of IT for Universal's music and video distribution at the time. So like it was a national division. I worked there for. Probably uh, two years, and then I I had the opportunity to start taking on really large global projects for Universal Studios. So I was there from '96 to 2000. My last project was their global Y2K project, where we had to touch every single piece of equipment in all of their offices, theme parks, studios worldwide, and we had to get it done by obviously you know uh, January or I'm sorry December 31st uh, 1999 while on that project, at t- 26 years old, I worked with a lot of project managers, and your audience can't see me shooting air quotes, but I worked with a lot of project managers that were older than me, had more experience than me, uh, that were charging us like $250 an hour, and they just struggled. Like I, who who reasonably didn't know what I was doing, because I didn't really have the experience to know what I was doing. Um, arrogantly, I believed I knew what I was doing. Uh, I was I was helping them be successful. So I, I just remember thinking at the time like you know, large projects, a project that requires the majority of the teams across an organization to participate to accomplish something that's bigger than what any one team to, could accomplish, it's not going to go away. I felt like I had a, a knack for it and then I, I could be successful. Again, this was pure hubris and and it it just it just happened to work out.
1: That's awesome. In your intro, I I read that um, you're an anti-hero, and then later I read you're an anti-thought leader. What's the anti-hero?
2: Oh, here's the thing. Most leaders think it's about them. Mm. They think that if they work really hard, they can get the big paycheck, they can get the office, they can get the fancy car, they can wear the expensive watch, and all of that makes them better than everybody around them. And so that all those people have to work really hard support them they have to be the smartest person in the room like how did i become an evil rescue swimmer i just refused to quit right like how did i how did i survive starting my own business first of all i was arrogant enough to think that i could or stupid enough to think that i could yes and once i took the leap i just wouldn't quit second that's that's what a leader does right a leader goes first into the unknown but whatever that leader then accomplishes, anything of greatness was not accomplished by one person, right? So I might have had this idea: start 120 VC, start a company that helps the, you know, large organizations get their global transformational projects done. But I didn't, that was my idea. I incorporated the business, but I didn't do it by myself. Like I was by myself for a little while, but 120 VC didn't grow, didn't it wasn't impactful until I brought other people together. So that's. That's really what leaders do is they they see what's next and pull a group of people together to make what's new. The other thing that's really interesting is that I might come up with the first idea and pull people together, but if I'm the one coming up with all of the ideas, that, that team is not capable of greatness because even if I have a genius IQ, that team is only as smart as me. We need other people to see what's next and make what's new based on their subject matter expertise right so let me give a great example we have a client uh, acom they're 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 a they're a fortune 500 we had a team member out there helping them pull together their it portfolio of projects and recognized a challenge between acom and their their global infrastructure outsourcing partner um, kindrel which used okay. to be ibm professional services and that problem was that Kindrel was struggling, Acom didn't have a high opinion of their ability to deliver, and my my team member came to us and said, "Hey, I we can solve this problem. We just need to bring these two teams together and help them become a high performing unified functional team." So, Jim, who was the leader in that scenario? Me? It wasn't my idea. Mm-hmm. No, he was the leader. So, he and this wouldn't have been on my radar. And so he pulled us together. Now, is he going to be able to do that by himself? No, absolutely not. I'm going to have my role. Some of the other members of the team are going to have their role, ACOM and Kendrell. They're all going to have their roles. But at the end of the day, at at any given time throughout that exercise, we're going to be passing the leadership baton based on the person with the appropriate expertise to decide where we go next, right? To decide which direction we're going, because that's what leaders do. We take people on a journey. If I'm the only guide, we're linear. We're not that smart. We're not that fast. And so as far as being the anti-thought leader, I, you know, it's simply this leadership isn't about me. I don't need to be talented. I don't need to be the smartest guy in the room. I need to surround myself with capable people that want to do what I think we need to do. And I need and I need to facilitate. I need to help them, each of them, architect their own roadmap to a shared goal. And when I do that, we are wildly successful every single time because that team isn't just smart as a single person. The IQ is exponentiated.
1: Right. Um, so I, I'm going to say something to you. And I don't know if it's, I want it to be a compliment, but it might sometimes don't come across that way. You seem like you're highly degreed, right? But sometimes highly degreed people just spout stuff. But you, did you ever go back to school or is all this just the natural training and recognizing the, the gifts that you were blessed with?
2: I, I'm also a college dropout multiple time college dropout okay. I just, it just it just there's two reasons it I'd try it and they would want me to take things that were remedial just because it was part of the curriculum and I struggle to do something just because like it's got to create value in my life or I I don't want to do it and and second it just it just was so boring to me so literally everything that you hear talking is really, all of my reading, uh, all of my interactions with wildly successful people, um, and my life's experience.
1: So you started this company, 120 VC, kind of a project manager, almost like probably, I'm, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, like a consultancy to help project managers help these larger companies get something done. But then I know in the green room, before we kind of push the go button, you told me that you recognize that in doing this, Many of the leaders of the firms that you're brought in to help with project management, we you needed to help them with their mindset, their right. leadership mindset.
2: Yes, so we're we're in the business of of building winning teams. So when we come into an organization, we do everything from looking at the large initiatives that we they need done that they're struggling to get done, and our job is to help them get the outcomes that they need by generally first revisioning because if they're not getting the outcomes that they think that they need, as you'd said earlier, they need the human beings in the organization to go about doing their jobs differently. But a universal truth is simply this, human beings fundamentally want to be successful at home, with their friends, with their family. Therefore, whatever they're doing that's achieving the outcomes that you don't want, they actually think what they're doing is looks like success. So if you want them to behave differently or go about doing their job differently, you have to give them a different vision because vision drives behavior behavior mm. drives outcomes so so many people think that they have a productivity problem they they have people that need to work harder that they need to work smarter that 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 their problem lies there except it's not true those people are doing what they think will make them successful so and you can't just go to them and say we'll do it differently because the way that they're doing it like aligns with what they think you've asked them to do so the leader needs to revision Pull them them together. Ideally, either test for and create demand for the thing. Because when you volunteer people to sign up and do work uh, on a thing and do their day jobs too, that doesn't necessarily solve a problem that they think that they have. Well, you're going to get the typical results, which is that 45% of projects go over budget, 7% are late. They they gen 56 of them. Percent of them achieve less value than originally anticipated, and it's Mm -hmm. like It's like Game of Thrones the entire time. However, if you present a vision to people that need to do the work and the people that are going to have to adopt new ways of working, that that solves a problem they think they have, they'll volunteer. And then you'll have a project that goes smoothly. So we we are basically in the business of helping leaders become effective and build teams that are winning. Because people on winning teams have a better quality of life than people on teams that are struggling.
1: Absolutely. Jay, you wrote a book. It's never just about business. It's about people in there. You have a um, section called leadership versus authority. Um, I think a lot of leaders think it's all about authority, right? But it's it's really not.
2: No, authority is not motivating at all. Like, so Jim, I, I want you to think about a time that you worked for somebody that made you feel like your job was to show up, work on time, by the way, work no matter what, work really hard, make no mistakes so they could get their next promotion or their bonus. You remember that time? Sure. I want you to blurt out a one word emotion for how you felt about that person.
1: Undervalued.
2: Yeah. And you, hopefully you were polishing up your resume. So nobody working in that model is, is very motivated. That person's dictating how people do their jobs. Innovation's not possible. Now I want you to think about a time where you worked with somebody where they were clearly your boss. They had authority over you, but they spent the vast majority of their time Helping you figure out how you would be successful, they played for you. Like when they gave you uh, um, like a critical feedback, they mm. were doing it to help you be more successful, and you thought, "Thank you." Whereas that boss, if they'd given you critical feedback, you'd have been like, "BS, you don't know what you're talking about," right? Right. So this person that you felt was there to enable you to define and deliver the necessary and expected results was there to help you architect your own roadmap to a shared goal and support you Blurt out a one word emotion for how you felt about that person.
1: Uh, Appreciated team player. What's two words, but (laughs) it's,
2: it's infinitely more motivating. And it's, it's, again, it recognizes that human beings, right? Like together we, we create things that change the game, right? Like uh, automotive, Automobiles, I mean, Henry Ford had the idea, but he didn't design it and build it by himself, right? Like space travel, uh, dams, trains, like, you know, uh, MRNA, all of these things were were maybe one person brought a bunch of other smart people together and asked them for their ideas based on their expertise. What leaders do is we take a group of people that believe what we believe on a journey, and in that journey, innovation is possible. It's how we change things. It's how we move the human race forward.
1: So we got about seven minutes left, Jay. How do leaders um, help their team members? You know, kind of architect their own roadmap to a shared goal. How do you get the buy-in? Because it seems to me there's just generation after generation of authority type leadership. So how how are you helping companies transition into the other you know the other way of thinking?
2: All right. So you asked me two questions. Um, so, and you asked me for a technique, like how do I help somebody architect their own roadmap to a shared goal? I want to cover that,
0: but then you asked
2: me, how do I do it? So I don't believe in voluntolling, telling people that they have to change because it doesn't work. The second you tell somebody something's mandatory, they want, they want to resist, bring a fight, expect to meet resistance. It's how human nature works. So I spend the vast majority of my time as a leadership speaker, Um, on transformation, on culture, on uh, accountability. And so I get invited into organizations where I speak to their global leadership teams of hundreds of people. And what happens is I speak and what I say resonates with some of them. And so what we offer after that is usually a mastermind. And through that mastermind, I find people that are interested in coaching. And so those are the people that I work with, the people that know what they're getting into, that know what I how I think because they they've listened to me, share that with them. And so ultimately, I go into organizations and I find people that my philosophy resonates with and then I help them succeed. And when they succeed, we then make their success, or it's really not necessary to make their success visible, their success is visible. And then we find the next willing human being. And if I can get 2 I'm very close to starting a movement that becomes disruptive and creates velocity toward that, that cultural change that change from an authority mindset to a leadership mindset. But moreover, when I speak about it, almost everybody gets it. Even if they are behaving as that authority, they're behaving as that, of that, as that authority, because that's all they know. That's what they were taught. It doesn't feel good. The vast majority of people wish they didn't have to go around miserable because frankly, those people are generally miserable. So then fast forward to how do I help somebody architect their own roadmap to a shared goal? Really simple. So let's say one of my customers asks me to solve a problem for them. Cool. Mm -hmm. I, I will ask them who in your organization has the expertise to help me solve this problem. So Jim, let's say they point me to you. I'd come to you and I'd say, hey, Jim, listen. I've been asked to do this and here's why the organization wants to drive this change. Here's the impact of the organization. Here's the risk of not doing it. I think this aligns with your area of expertise. If I'm correct, you're going to say yes. And I'm going to say to you, Hey, do you want to help me with this? Generally speaking, if I come to you with a juicy problem that you, you were designed to solve based on the job that you do, you're going to be like, absolutely. Jay, I want to help you with that. People
1: want to help. Absolutely.
2: so then instead of, instead of asking the biggest manager, leader, rookie question, which is, Jim, do you know what you need to do? Because you know something <laughs> from our conversation. I'm not going to ask you a yes or no question. I'm going to ask you an open-ended question. This is called active listening. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, okay, Jim, do me a favor and just walk me through how you're going to go about doing this. So as you start explaining what you're going to do, what you say is predictive of the outcome we're going to get in three days, a week, a month, six months. And here's the thing, I'm not the subject matter expert, but I am listening to, uh, to see if I understand how what you're describing will accomplish that shared goal. All right, so every once in a while, I'm gonna interrupt and I'm gonna say, Jim, this is what I hear you saying. And if we're if we have alignment, meaning I understand, and by the way, this is how we get the magical unicorn called alignment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to paraphrase it back to you. And you're going to say, yeah, Jay, that's what I'm saying. Boom. We're, we have alignment. You know, I'm listening. You know, I'm tracking. Or if I paraphrase it back to you and I'm, we don't have alignment, you'll just explain it to me differently because you know what I did understand from what you said, right? right? So this goes on for a little while. And I'm thinking to myself, not will this work? We've been trained to do that. Like as managers or executives, from kindergarten, you either get good grades or you get bad grades. It's the right way to do it. It's the wrong way to do it, right? So we, we're we managers and we're supposed to judge it. Here's the problem. Jim, if you as the subject matter expert are describing how you're going to do something and I say to you, that's not going to work, is that a fact or an assumption?
1: It's an assumption.
2: It is an assumption. More importantly, it shuts the conversation down. I, as before, as a manager, before I learned how to be a leader, I, won't, I can't tell you how many times I do that i jump in and be like, "Ah, Jim, I don't think that's going to work. And I did yep. it trying to help you. Like, I didn't want you to walk off the end of the proverbial pier, but two terrible things came out of that. One, often they would do it their way anyway, and it would work. And then I wish I kind of wished I hadn't said that out loud, but it was very humbling and a good lesson for me. Or two, they would just say, fine, Jay, just tell me how to do it. That's not good leadership at all. So what I learned was that's better is to say, you know what, Jim, I don't understand how that's going to work. I must be missing something. Can you help me understand what I'm missing? And more importantly, that's a fact. I don't understand. So if as you're describing it, I don't understand how it's going to work. And by the way, I'm not trying to f- figure out, I'm not trying to help you figure out how to do it my way. Because my way is optimized for me. I'm right. trying to help you architect your own roadmap to a shared goal because that's, archi- that's optimized for you. Right. So, in that, after I say I don't understand, I'm going to start asking questions. Well, have you thought about this? Well, if you do this, what, you know, I, one time I had this happen when I did that. Like, are you worried about that? I'm going to ask questions until one or two things, or, and I'm even going to make statements like, you know, Uh, once I was working on a project very similar and I did this, right? And this was the outcome and it wasn't very good. Had you thought about how you'd address that? And, you know, you're answering my questions and we're sharing back and forth. Inevitably, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to say something that's going to cause you to go, oh, you know what? I didn't know that or I didn't think of that. Well, in that case, I would do it this way. And now your new roadmap, I see it. I'm like, I see how that's going to succeed. Or, I'm going to ask you a question, and when you answer it, I'm going to get a piece of information that I didn't have, and suddenly I'm going to see how your original plan will work. And that's all a leader does, is we want to get alignment and set our team members up for success, because we've heard that, right? Every Forbes, Inc. magazine article, we got to set them up for success. Well, here's the thing. If I ask questions until you have a roadmap that we both think will work, have I increased the likelihood of success? That's what setting team members up for success look like. And the last most important thing, that's also what teamwork looks like.
1: That's awesome. I knew this was going to be a a fascinating half hour. Jay, um, first of all, I'm going to have to have you back at some point because I I I think I asked you three questions (laughs) I had at least 12. Um, So two things, where can people connect with you? And uh, you have two books. I only named one. Um, You have a book. It's never just about business. It's about people and the irreverent guide to project management. Do you want send them to amazon do they go to your website what's your preference there um
2: they can go to amazon uh, okay. or they can go to our website 120vc there's a there's a there's a store um i'm happy to connect with anybody that that pings me on linkedin and says that they heard me on your podcast uh and that's that's probably i'd say linkedin um and uh LinkedIn and to mention that I was on your podcast is probably the
1: okay, best. <laughs> Jay. Thank you so. Thank you for your service, man. Thank you so much. I mean, it's really. A, a, I know when when the hour goes by or half hour goes by this quickly. I know it's it's uh it's fascinating for me, which means my my guests are going to like it too. Thank you so much for being on Dream Business Radio. Thank you, Jim. Zoom high five. Hey, folks, this wrapped up a very special interview with Jay Scott from uh, Get Shit Done and actually 120 VC is the name of his company. Very, very brilliant mind, which is which is awesome. So connect with him there. You can connect with me at getjimpalmer.com, getjimpalmer.com. And remember, folks, you can get free copies of all my books, uh, either at Amazon as Kindle. They're in the iBook store. They're also at Barnes & Noble. That is part of my legacy building program, my free gift to you. Good, good education. And uh, so that's it. Until this time next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer the dream business coach and you take good care.